Hey folks, and welcome back to the Blue Light Podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and over the past several years, I've been helping to support thousands of people who are interested in joining the police to achieve their dream. And it's been an absolute honour and a privilege to do so. So in today's podcast, it's going to be something a little bit different, because the other day, I appeared on Jorvik Radio. That's one of York's local radio stations in Nick Love's morning show, where we talked about the COVID regulations and restrictions. But more importantly, how are they linked to Sir Robert Peel's policing principles? And what is the role of the police in enforcing all of the latest COVID regulations? And what's the responsibility of community? So is there room for more citizenship within communities? And what role have the police to play in all of this? So I'd invite you to pin your ears back and listen to a very short conversation with Nick Love from Jorvik Radio and my good self. And I'll just leave that with you. There's no end to this one other than Nick saying goodbye and me saying goodbye to Nick. So once that bit's done, it's the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoy this. I'll catch up with you at the next one. Bye-bye for now. Yes, and owner of a lonely heart here on Your Vic Radio. Now, you can't turn on the TV without there being a police drama. You might have your favourites. It might be The Sweeney, it might be The Wire, it might be, well, it might be ins- Inspectors. Whatever it is, um, there's always something on. But what about talking to a real-life policeman and somebody who had what can only be described as illustrious and distinguished career in the police? Brendan O'Brien, founder of the Blue Light Consultancy, uh, was called inspirational by the then Prime Minister, who described him thus, as well as the Home Secretary, a policing minister and a baroness. And what he did was he worked within the communities of Greater Manchester as a neighbourhood inspector. Well, I'm delighted to have him live uh, by Zoom talking to me, and we're going to discuss, well, that and many more things. Hi, Brendan. Good morning, Nick. Uh, illustrious career, my goodness. Uh, not not a serving police officer anymore, I'd, I'd hasten to add, but still working within the police sector. That's right, yes. You, you founded Blue Light Consultancy, and we'll come on to that a little later. But I think what most people would be really interested in is, you know, policing in real life. Um, you were obviously a neighbourhood policing inspector. What did that entail? What was your, 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 your sort of job role within uh, Greater Manchester? Well, uh, until I um, started in neighbourhood policing, which was 2004, I'd already worked in two of the forces. I'd worked in uh, Cheshire Constabulary, I'd worked in Special Branch in Bermuda, eventually worked my way up the ranks in GMP. And until then, I thought my relationship with the public was just about catching the bad guys and putting them in jail. You know, if you, keep, if you talk about shows like The Wire, um, The Sweeney, The Bill... That, for me, was policing. And then I went into neighbourhood policing and started to realise that, actually, this is one of the most challenging roles I could ever have taken on. Because the challenge was was to secure the willing cooperation of the public. And those aren't my words. Those are the words of Sir Robert Peel, the founder of the Metropolitan Police in 1829. Um, and how that we weren't really a police service, but my role was actually to enable communities to be the best versions of themselves they could be. And at the same time, though, and on their behalf, uh, tackle organised criminality. So I did a lot of tackling and dismantling of organised crime. Um, an amazing part of my career and work I've continued to do since I left the police in 2013. I've worked with the European Union on an international advisory board um, on a big project which was looking to improve community policing and community engagement. 
spoken at conferences and still work with police forces like West Yorkshire, Gloucestershire, Nottinghamshire, South Yorkshire Police uh, to enable and support them to uh, improve their problem-solving capability. So, yeah, th- that's that's the career, and it's still ongoing. 35 years later, I'm still... You know, I'm still in the sector and loving every moment of it. Well, the great thing is, people need someone with your kind of hinterland, somebody that brings a whole world of experience and and someone that can talk, uh, you know, from an authoritative position. Now, that was a really prescient quote you you, you said about Robert Peel there. How important is it that that the police work with their local communities and that, you know, the local communities feel empowered to actually work with the police? Well, I'd probably switch it the other way around, actually. You know, if I put myself in the shoes of Sir Robert Peel, I mean, this was the founder of the Metropolitan Police, but he, he set down these principles back in 1829, which I think are just as powerful today as they were back then. This man was a visionary, uh, but he talked about historic traditions in 1829. So the police service you know, didn't just come into being in 1829, but as opposed to members of the community cooperating with the police, I think he, what he would be looking at is... How are the police a part of the community as opposed to a part from the community? And how do we secure willing cooperation between each other as opposed to having this sort of us and them um, you know, perspective? I'll quote one of his, his principles, one of his nine principles. That, uh, principle number seven was that, that the police should remember the historic tradition that the police are the public and the public are the police. Now, we hear that all the time. You know, you hear senior officers talk about that in press releases and on the news. But there's a bit after which is so important today. Um, and he talked about the police are the public, the public are the police. The police just being members of the public who are paid full time to, to carry out a role which is incumbent on all citizens in the interests of community welfare and existence. Now, that sends a shiver down my spine because, you know, if, if that's not needed today, that, that, that principle, I don't know what it is. It's, it's so good for today because what he talks there about is that actually the police are just paid to do a job, which is all of our responsibility as citizens. And he could have said in the interest of reducing crime, he could have said in the interest of community safety, but he didn't. He said in the interest of community welfare and existence. So uh, I think in the challenging times that we face today, especially with changing guidance, changing rules around coronavirus. Now is the time to realise that actually it's not the police's job. There's there's room here, there's space here for all citizens to play a part in securing this welfare and existence of our communities. I mean, this is back in 1829, Nick. I mean, yeah, absolutely. years ago. It's incredible. Well, and the other one that, that I like of his was that the degree of cooperation of the public can be secured diminishes proportionately to the necessity to the use of physical force or compulsion in achieving police objectives. Mm-hmm. Very much about working with the, you know, with the public in, in, you know, in a cooperative way rather than, you know, a, a force way, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. He talked about... Um, public approval and maintaining and securing public respect. And I realised as a neighbourhood inspector that this is the hardest... I mean, tackling organised criminality was easy. Mm. Um, you know, actually, I actually, you mentioned The Wire. I used bits of The Wire as inspiration. You know, that phrase, if anyone's watched The Wire, they talk about following the money. Yeah. Well, this is what we did to dismantle organised criminality, which is follow the money. And, you know, ask people, where did you get this Bentley from? Oh, I paid for it. Yeah, but where did the money come from? Oh, uh, can't tell you. Right, yeah. we're having it. <laughs> Proceeds of Crime Act. Yeah. yeah. But that's easy. Securing the respect of the community and getting them to believe in you as someone who's part of their community and 
He talked about maintaining and approving uh, the approval, the willing cooperation in the task of securing observance of laws. Listen, this, this is this is a principle for policing which is admired um, across the world. You know, the work I did with the European Union, the amount of times people would say to me, ah, yes, but you started with appealing principles and we're like, you know, two, two centuries behind you. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot there we can learn, I think, about this, that the police aren't there to enforce. I mean, they talk now about, in terms of coronavirus legislation and, and guidance, their role is to engage, explain, encourage, and only as a last resort to enforce. And, and this four E's, it, it's, it so sits within those principles that were set down almost two centuries ago. I mean, this guy was a visionary, <laughs> honestly, a visionary. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, you talk about following the money. I mean, people like Al Capone, they, they were brought down by their taxes, not actually by, by, you know, some of the stuff that they did. Now, with regards to uh, the current advice, because obviously it is, well, people are confused because they get their, their news from so many sources. Um, and, you know, needing to work with the police with regards to, um, you know, help, uh, you know, keep the virus down and with regards to self-isolation and justice within the community. How can the public work? Because, I mean, I, I'm, it may be just me, but I think that not all the public view um, the, the, the police as their servants or, or somebody that actually works on their behalf. Uh, how can we get over that disconnect? How do you think that, you know, that, that both sides can engage to make sure that, you know, everyone works to their mutual benefit? Yes, it's interesting this. So I've been listening to some politicians. I'm, I'm not going to get into politics and talk about names, but you know, sort of this sort of uh, these challenges to the politicians. Would you call call the police about your neighbours, or yeah. would you? Would you? You know, what would you do if you saw? I mean, I think Pretty Patel talked about two families meeting with each other and mingling, and how this would be against the law. And uh, I can just imagine the police facing all of these calls rolling well, into the control. They, they, they couldn't cope, could they? Mm-hmm. Well, they can't cope with it. You know, but the, the you know the prime minister talked the other day about these extra officers. Well, wh- where are these extra officers coming from? Uh, we'll bring in the military. No, you won't bring in the military because where in North Yorkshire are the, are the police going to be replaced by the military? It's mm. just not going to happen. And the police chiefs have said this: we don't want to be supported by the army. The army is always there as part of a strategic approach to any national, international incidents and disasters. But, you know, in, in the likes of after terrorist incidents, uh, Operation Tempura, um, uh, police from Civil Nuclear Constabulary, Ministry of Defence Police came to support the Home Office Police Forces. The army had a role to play in this, but we're not going to see the army on the streets. That's not their role. No, it's, it's a logistics, really, isn't it, with the army, not actually, you know, building communities and, and, and actually working with communities. No, that's not their role. And, you know, they may take, you know, in the city of London, they may take over guard duties on certain places that the police carry out their duties um, armed, but they are not replacing the police. We're not going to see the army patrolling the streets enforcing COVID regulations. You know, there's a big part here, I think, for community to play. And, and Robert Peel, you know, the founder of the police service, uh, Metropolitan Police, talked, he talked from one moment about we're all members of the public, just that the police are paid full time. But then he switches into it's incumbent on all citizens and he changes from members of the public to citizen. And I think there's a big difference there. Yeah. Member of the public is just a re- passive receiver of a service. A citizen is someone who takes an active role in their community, a responsible role. So that, the, you know, make you, everyone will know people, uh, will be related to people. And if you know someone who may be breaking those regulations and putting other people at harm in doing so, then 
it's your role as think as a citizen not to call the police but to have a word with those people who you know and love to help them understand the regulations and if you don't then there's plenty of websites you can go to to understand them but it does get complicated and i get that i looked at them this morning and thought my goodness if i was arranging a sporting event i wouldn't know where to begin yeah, um, yeah. but honestly there's something here about the the principle about all of this is not to look for loopholes it's to try and work together as a community to ensure as robert peel said the the, the welfare and existence of the community so that the police don't need to enforce yeah, and and uh, it, it reminds me. I uh, when I was uh, at, at uh, University of St John back in the day, I became president of the students' union. The first knock on the door was the local community bobby, uh, a wily old Irishman, fantastic guy, really, really guy. He knew everything, eyes and ears everywhere. And again, he pleased by consent and community, and people felt that he he was their friend. You know, they came up to him in the street and they said, "Can you help with this?" Or I want to tell you about somebody who's dealing on that street corner or something like. That that but he was so so good at what he did and, and when he finally retired he left a big gap and i think that that said something as well but you made a really good point about you know people not well for want of a word grass or whatever snitch whatever you want to call it it's far more powerful coming from a friend or, or a member of your family isn't it if they're trying to say to you look you know you shouldn't be doing this or you should be wearing a mask or you know you, I, I i know that seven or eight of you had a party last night you know come on guys we're all in this together that kind of thing it's a lot more powerful isn't it yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no doubt about it. This is a major, major national, international crisis. I can't remember anything like this in my lifetime. Uh, and it needs the communities of this country to pull together and, like I said, not be constantly looking for a loophole to try and get around some government regulation. They're, they're doing this with the best intentions, I think, I do believe, you know, whether I believe in their politics or not. You know, and whether I, you know, sometimes I think, well, I'm not sure, quite sure if that's the best use of words. You know, it's the first time the word mingle has appeared in um, <laughs> British legislation. You know, and, and quite, you know, straight away we've got newscasters saying, well, what do you do? You know, what would you do, Pretty Patel, if you were in this situation? And, yeah. and, and she's saying, well, look, that's mingling. And look, but the principle is, it might be breaking the law, but the principle is, we're trying to save people's lives here. Yeah. You know, think back in the Second World War. People were saying, oh, I'm not sure if I agree with actually making sure my curtains are closed. Well, exactly that, yeah. You know, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, why do I have to draw the curtains to stop the lights shining up into the sky to prevent the, um, you know, someone dropping a bomb on my house? I'm quite sure people just got on with, no, we need to do our best and pull together here to fight an enemy, which back then it was seen, but this is an enemy that's unseen. Absolutely. It, you know, I'm sorry to come back to the Second World War, but I can't remember a, a time in my life when we've faced such a crisis, and I'm quite sure those people who can remember that far back will not be able to remember anything like this. So it's a time for communities to pull together, for the police to encourage and explain and engage. The, the last thing they need to do is enforce, and I'm quite sure that the police of North Yorkshire and the rest of the country are thinking, we don't want to enforce, but we will if we absolutely have to, and it's necessary. Yeah. But, but they are, you know knocking on someone's door and saying, we think you've got more than six people in your house, they could just say, no, I haven't, and then close the door on the face. 
they're in an impossible situation if the, the communities of this country think all they're there for is to enforce the law. Yeah. Well, uh, just tell us a little bit about what Blue Light does, because we're going to get you back to talk uh, uh, in, in some detail about how you can apply what you do to, you know, people going for, for jobs in the, the normal world as opposed to the police world. But with regards to Blue Light, you know, how did you establish that and, and what does it do now? Well, I, 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 I got a, I've been interested in a lot of things in the police, but um, back in the day, in 1988, I became a tutor constable, which meant it was my role to mentor and support new constables. Um, I was only three years in service then, but I, as a sergeant later on, I got really interested in coaching and supporting people. I became a police trainer, a trainer of trainers, went back to university, did a master's in education, and um, as well as having this massive interest in um, tackling organised crime, enabling communities... Um, I also started thinking, do you know the skills I have? I could, I could help people to actually join the police because there are certain techniques, certain methods, which I've developed since as well, that um, will, will help people to be able to prepare for their dream job. Now, I've helped over 5,000 people into the police now. So that's, a, that's an enormous percentage, actually, when I think about it of people who have helped to achieve their dreams. But one of the things that's happened over the past few years is a lot of people have said, well, I did your courses, I followed your guidance. I didn't actually get into the police, but I used all of those techniques and I've now secured a job as, and the list is long, um, from being an accountant to the Royal Marines to working as a nurse, getting a job as a nurse. And I think there's one individual who's a bit cagey just because I've got a job in government. I think it's MI6 or something <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> I keep pressing him saying, God, so what, what type of role in government? He goes, yeah. it's a... It's an interesting one. <laughs> so, um, and so that's, you know, I've been looking at the, I've been thinking about all the people who are getting towards the end of furlough and may not have a job to go back to, or they're going to have to reinvent themselves. And um, I've been talking to quite a few people who have been in that situation. And, and you know, they're just not ready for that world of being prepared for securing that next job career dream whatever it is you know for some people yeah. it's going to be really tragic for some people it's going to be amazing opportunity but i just don't think people are ready enough and prepared enough and so yeah i'd love to share a little bit more about that about yeah. how to start preparing for this future where you may find yourself in a situation where you're gonna to have to rethink interesting to see what rishi sunak says this afternoon because he's going to give a special address with regards to maybe a, a scheme similar to the german one with regards to part funding jobs but you're absolutely right brendan there's going to be a lot of people are going to finding themselves out of work so what we're going to do is going to get you back very soon and we're going to talk about that and have a special on careers and use all of that knowledge of yours to help our listeners in the meantime it's been hugely hugely interesting and i do thank you for your time oh, great it's been great to be on board nick and i'll catch you with you next time you will do thank you <laughs>